Well, let's get into Jonah. Last September, our family had a special time. One of our nephews was married, and I got to perform the ceremony. A week before that, our oldest son got married. First one ever. I got to perform that ceremony. That was great. And then just before that week, we had Daryl Strawberry here. Some of you know the name if you were around in the 80s and 90s, a baseball fan. It was a big time for our church to have Daryl Strawberry here. Um, you know, National League Rookie of the Year in 1983, uh, three times World Series champ, eight times All-Star. His activities on the field were legendary. His activities off the field were legendary. The reason we had him here was to talk about addiction. He was booted out of the baseball league for th I think three different times, and his life just spiraled downward. And it was interesting that Sunday night as he spoke to a packed room at the Sandusky campus about his baseball days, but also about his addiction days. Earlier that day on Sunday, he, he was actually just my wife and Daryl and me at our kitchen table. It was pretty surreal hearing him talk about his days of playing with Derek Jeter and some of the other famous baseball players, but also talking about his addiction, uh, telling the story about how his his future wife, his current wife, found him literally lying behind a dumpster. And the words he used is this. He had reached rock bottom, or the bottom of the barrel, or below the bottom of the barrel, looking up at the bottom of the barrel. We all understand what rock bottom is, intellectually, maybe even experientially. Uh, rock bottom uh, can come into our lives because of a really bad decision we've made, or because simply we live in a broken world. Sometimes, like with Daryl Strawberry, it was a combination of both. He had a terrible upbringing and made terrible decisions. There's a pastor I know of in Colorado. Uh, for years, I subscribed to a journal called Leadership Journal, and he was a regular contributor to the journal. He's, I think he's still pastoring there now. His name, you ready for this? Rock Bottomley. How about that for a name? I think his church was so successful and so many people came to his church because they knew, here's the guy who could understand where I'm coming from. Rock bottomly. How about that? Well, your name doesn't have to be rock bottomly to understand what it means to be at rock bottom. Maybe you remember the day when your finances fell out or your job was lost or you lost a loved one in your family or your health turned sideways. Or maybe you got a DUI, or you got caught. You were discovered doing something, and now you're paying the price. Maybe somebody betrayed you or deceived you, or something, ha something happened where you reached rock bottom. And it can be a combination of things, but we all understand what it means. And so today, we're going to look at Jonah at rock bottom. <laughs> Uh, before we get to, into Jonah chapter 2 and Jonah at rock bottom, let me just review briefly where we were last week in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah is a prophet for God. That means he's a spokesperson for God. He gets to go speak the truth wherever God tells him to go. But in this case, God says, go to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, a very brutal country, the arch enemy of Israel. And Jonah says, no, thank you. I don't want to go. Speak your judgment against Nineveh. I, you told me to go east. I'm going to go west. In fact, I'm going to go far west. I'm going to go as far west as I can. And he gets on a boat to head for this place called Tarshish. Probably doesn't get very far until this gigantic storm comes in and begins to 
to violently shake the boat, the kind of storm that breaks boats apart and scares sailors, and that's exactly what happened. And it was God. It was God just getting Jonah's attention. Our, our guiding uh, truth for last week was that God will do whatever it takes to bring us to himself. And in this, this cascading events, uh, th- th- this ever-present show of grace by God, God gives him opportunities to come back to him. And eventually, Jonah gets thrown into the sea by the sailors. And Jonah, I think, is literally thinking, thank goodness I'm going to drown because going to Nineveh would be far worse than this. But God is not done with Jonah. God gives Jonah a new opportunity. And along comes this great big fish (laughs) to swallow Jonah up whole. So that brings us to chapter 2. What we have is a record of Jonah's prayer inside this fish. And it goes like this. And let me just start at the very end of chapter 1. Follow along as you like. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish, and he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you, to your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. This is the word of the Lord. And this is our bottom line truth. Sometimes you have to sink to finally surrender. Some of you have been at rock bottom, and what we just read and what we're about to talk about may resonate with you. You may be at rock bottom right now. We don't know each other's stories all that well. And hopefully, something you have just heard or will hear will be of hope to you. Um, It it could be life. Right now, your, your life is going along very, very well. And Maybe something you've heard or will hear will help you to avoid sinking down so far before you surrender. Now, there are a number of ways we can approach this prayer of Jonah in chapter 2. What I'd like to do is to allow three principles from his prayer to emerge to help us understand 
how we can end up surrendering to the Lord. All right? So what I'd like to do is to begin with this, the importance of crying out to God. Some of you have a, an outline in front of you. That's what I'm going to follow. To cry out to God. Um, there was a British author, poet, back in the 1700s by the name of Samuel Johnson. He said this, Nothing clears the mind as the, as the certain thought that you will be shot in the morning. <laughs> you get it? I mean, you know, if you know you're going to be shot in the morning, nothing clears the mind like that. You're not thinking about washing the car or vacuuming the house. You've got bigger things to think about, right? And here's Jonah sinking down into the ocean, stuck in the gullet of a fish. He's got bigger things to think about. His predicament, his desperation. And this is how it begins. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish, and he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. Let's stop there. He says, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. Some versions of the Bible say, in my great distress, I called out. The idea is a baby crying out who cannot help itself. It's the idea of someone who's fallen through the ice, who cannot get up out of the water by themselves. It's somebody in the wilderness who's lost their way from the trail and have to send out a, a flare, I'm lost. Or somebody out in the middle of Lake Erie and the, and the motor has died and they send out an SOS. Or a platoon of soldiers surrounded by the enemy. We need reinforcements. You get the idea. You know you've been licked and you are beyond yourself. That's what it means to cry out. I want to ask you, when is the last time you cried out to the Lord? That's the first way, the first step on the path to surrender. I was thinking about my own life, and, and, I, and I can think of a, a couple of profound moments in my life where I cried out to God. One is back when I was age 20. Some of you might be close to that age. There were a series of things that happened in my life, and I've told this story before, so forgive me if it's too familiar, but, but someone had recently died tragically, and I started thinking about the brevity of life and eternity. And, and then I was also very enamored with creation and who put all of this here? And so at age 20, I went backpacking out in Montana and I sat on the side of a mountain in Glacier National Park. And with all of these thoughts going on through my mind, I cried out to God and I said, God, if you are real, I want to know who you are. I was at the end of my rope. I didn't know what else to do. God, if you are real, Show me who you are. And a few months later, somebody shared with me the message of Jesus Christ and how I could have a relationship with God through Christ. I cried out. It led to my surrender to God. Just eight years ago, our family moved to the Sandusky area from Akron. Many of you know I was a pastor there for 23 years. I am so grateful to be here with you, to be a part of the chapel here. But you need to know, after 23 years of being a pastor there, we had built significant relationships. And uprooting is one thing physically. Relational uprooting is another. Some of you have been through that. We, have made all, we had made all of our friends there. This is where we raised our children. They had all of their friends there. All of our memories were there. 
The decision had been made to come here. But one day, nobody was in the house. I was up in our bedroom and I laid down on the floor, face down, absolutely prostrate, and just cried like a baby. I cried out to God like a baby. I can't do this. I can't do this. Have you ever cried out to God like that? In times of my life, I'm ashamed to say that I wasn't following the Lord, where I was disobedient and cried out, God, forgive me. Have you been there? It's important to cry out to the Lord. Some people say, well, I don't do that. Oh, yeah, you do. Somebody once said, no one's ever met an atheist in a foxhole. You know what a foxhole is in war. The bullets are flying overhead. Even that atheist is wired to call out to the one who made him. That's how we're designed, to call out, to cry out. Jonah says, Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more to your holy temple. Jonah felt a million miles away from God. He felt like God had driven him away, like Job felt like God had driven him away. But there was something in Jonah that said, to whom else do I turn? I know I've blown it. I know I've sinned. I know I've disobeyed God. But to whom else do I turn but to God? As I was studying this, this passage, this prayer, what came to mind was a, a little verse in the letter of James, chapter 4, it's verse 8. It simply says this, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Now that's worth memorizing, isn't it? Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Cry out, and watch what happens. Just recently, I heard this story from a man in our church. His father, who was older, died a natural old age death, but all his life his father held God at a distance, resisted the idea of Jesus, turned his back on the church, didn't want anything to do with it. And then with just hours before he took his last breath, just hours left on this side of eternity, he cried out to God. And ask God for forgiveness through Christ. It reminded me of the, of the thief on the cross story who cried out to Jesus. Crying out. And so Jonah, he says, As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. I remembered you. Lord, I cried out to you. Some of... Jonah's prayer, he borrows slivers from the book of Psalms. Those who wrote Psalms preceded Jonah, so he probably had access to that. It makes me think of Psalm 107. Perhaps Jonah knew that psalm. Perhaps you know that psalm. It's, it's a story of people who are, who are drifting away from God, drifting away from God. And there's four categories of people. Those, there are those who are just wandering. There are those who are sick. There are those who are prisoners, and there are those like Jonah who are storm-tossed. 
And then they remember the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. And God comes to their rescue. So we start with crying out to the Lord. Let me take us to another principle that emerges from this prayer. Confess God's control and desperate circumstances. Now, to cry out is one thing, but this is sort of taking it to a different level. To confess, maybe you know, means to agree. It's to agree that that God is in control even in the middle of my difficult, hard circumstances. Now, before we look at Jonah's prayer again, I want to just use an illustration. And I know this is a little bit uh, artificial, but and a little bit, um, you know, we are, we are, as people, we are complex. And so to categorize people, it's, it's sort of a dangerous thing. But let me just do that for educational purposes, for explanatory purposes. Two categories of people. Uh, the first category of person is this one, like Jonah. <laughs> There's been some disobedience. There's been some running from God. There's been this... Sin. Let me just define sin for a moment. The best definition I ever heard of sin is simply to be actively rebellious toward God or passively indifferent toward God. And that was Jonah. And a a person who lives a life like that gradually, maybe precipitously, can spiral down and hit rock bottom. That's That's the first category of people the second category of people are, are those who are at rock bottom, but not because of disobeying God. It's just because we live in a broken world. And, and sometimes we hit rock bottom because we're the victims of other people's bad decisions. So you have these two categories, Jonah's camp and this camp. Let me talk about this group here for a moment. Sometimes when I'm with someone who's hurting, who's suffering, who's going through a very difficult time, I will offer to pray with them, or maybe they'll ask me to pray with them, and I will, and I will pray for healing, and I'll pray for help, and I'll pray for resolution, whatever the need is. But I, and maybe like you, I I will always say, but God, your, your will be done, and then I will almost always add this. God, you, you see what I don't. You know what we don't. And your watchful eye is all over this situation. And therefore, we can trust you. Please help us to trust you. Now, I didn't always pray like that. I started praying like that after I got to know a particular psalm. And I got to know this particular psalm when we were making our move from Akron to the Sandusky area. I would literally go at night with an earbud in my ear and listen over and over to this particular psalm. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'm actually going to just read it to you. It's Psalm 121. It goes like this. It's not very long. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. 
Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. That's Psalm 121. What I just read to you is a confession. It is a confession that God is in control. It is a confession that God's watchful eye is over you all the time, even in the middle of difficulties and hardships. Now, there's a second category of people over here. This is Jonah's category, and sometimes it's our category. We've sinned, we've disobeyed, whatever it is, and we find ourselves at rock bottom. <laughs> now, I love this story because it's a good reminder. The whole Bible is filled with this, but this story reminds me that, you know, God doesn't just wink at our disobedience. He doesn't just say, oh, shucks. Boys will be boys, no big thing. No, it's a big thing. And so Jonah now is sinking down into the ocean. <laughs> Why? It, God's not seeking to destroy Jonah's life. He's trying to redirect Jonah back to himself. When we sin and experience the consequences of our sin... God isn't seeking to destroy us. He's trying to redirect us back to himself. God's always trying to get our attention, just like he's trying to get Jonah's attention. He's trying to bring us to a point of surrender. Because God has made us for himself, and he knows we are going to be happiest and most joy-filled when we are at that point. And so Jonah prays. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Could we leave that on the screen just for a moment? Now, you can, you can tell Jonah's desperate here. Maybe some of you have floundered in the water before, and you wondered, is this the time I'm going to drown? It's a scary thing. Jonah is scared. But what's interesting here, if you look at this verse, Jonah does not point his finger at the sailors who threw him into the sea. He doesn't point his finger at the, the lots that were cast into his lap that ended up pointing the finger at him, that he is the one, the culprit. He doesn't point his finger at the storm. He doesn't point his finger at the captain in chapter 1 who woke him up. Jonah points his finger at the Lord of the universe, you threw me into the ocean depths. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. He points his finger at God. You are the one because of what I did. And, and this is a spiritual step forward for Jonah. In fact, it's a spiritual step forward for any of us if we do what Jonah did, and that is not point the finger at circumstances, not point the finger at people, not point the finger at events. We point to ourselves. God, you are allowing me to go through the consequences of my own decision in order that 
I may come back to you. You're just simply trying to get my attention, to draw me back to yourself, to bring me to the point of surrender to you. Jonah prays, I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. You can just feel the desperation and the distress in Jonah. What do I do now? And then the craziest thing happens. At a precise time, at the precise coordinates, God has sent out a signal to a great big fish who comes along and scoops him up, and he is rescued. Do you see that? He says, but you, O Lord my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death, but you. I couldn't help myself, but you. I love that phrase, but you. Did you know that is one of a, I don't know, that maybe is the way to summarize all of Scripture? But God, I forget whose office it is here at the chapel. Somebody has on their wall, in big letters, but God, dot, dot, dot. If you were to go to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, the first three, two and a half chapters, Paul develops the case against humanity, and he ends up by saying there is no one righteous at all. No one has a right relationship with God. And then he says, but God has provided a way through Jesus Christ. But God. If you were to go to his letter to the Ephesians, it starts off by saying we are all, we're all dead in our transgressions and our sins. We have no way to God. But God, by his grace, has provided a way. Jonah says, but you, but God. I can't find peace for my life. But God. I can't find forgiveness for my life, but God. I can't bring myself to forgive others, but God. I can't get myself out of this addiction, but God. I can't be sure of eternal life, but God. I can't do anything, but God, but God, but God. Which now leads Jonah to a point of commitment to follow God. This is the point of surrender for Jonah. And this is what he prays. And this is the very end of his prayer. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. Now that's the what. (laughs) What's he going to do? He's going to turn and surrender to God. He's had enough time in the water. He's had enough time in the fish. It's better to surrender and serve the Lord. But what is the why? Here's the why, the very last sentence. My salvation comes from the Lord alone. Some say that this is actually not just the central verse in the book of Jonah. This is the central verse in the book, in the entire Bible. My salvation comes from God alone. I can't but God. Salvation comes from God alone This is the most important lesson we could ever learn. Salvation comes from the Lord alone. It it, it starts with God's salvation. It ends with God's salvation. It's a lesson that all of us will spend a lifetime learning. I personally need to hear this over and over and over in my life. Salvation comes from God alone and for you too. 
Some people will reject that all of their lives. But it begins with salvation and it ends with salvation. There is no salvation. There is no help. There is no deliverance. There is no getting better apart from what God does in our lives. And so here's Jonah sinking down into the sea in the darkness of a fish. And he comes to the realization it is not worth fighting God. It is better to surrender. I'm done boxing with God. My arms are too short. He's going to win every single time. And so the chapter 2 ends with these words. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach, from the boat to the belly to the beach. And now a new chapter begins. And that's next week.